everybody, and welcome to the HRO Growth Show, where we believe that PEOs and HROs are the best kept secret of small business success, that there's plenty of opportunity for all of them and every reason to grow. This show is hosted and sponsored by Pace PEO Association, and I'm your host, Ryan McInerney. With me today is Ray Dial. He is the founder of PEO Masterclass and Pathways Strategies. He's a sales and marketing expert in the PEO and HRO industries, and he's going to be giving us an education today on sales conversations. I'm so glad to have you, Ray. It's good to have you on today's show, and I'm ready to get started. Thanks, Ryan. Hey, great to see you. Good to be here. So what I'd love to do is make sure that all of our listeners have a good understanding as to your expertise. You've been doing what you do for a long time, but some may not know you. So if you just give us a a brief history and bring us up to speed as to what you're doing today, that'd be awesome. Yeah, it's a long and uh, somewhat twisty road, but I'd be happy to. So I actually started with George Gersma 25 years ago. Him and Mary trained me in this industry that has now become my life. And started out as a sales monkey there. And honestly, the truth is, I just wasn't very good at it. They were kind and trained me well. And over time, I became a sales manager. And then after that, I became the head of sales and marketing for several of the larger PEOs. And even ran operations as well as became president of a PEO. So my my history here has been from small PEOs, but historically a little larger, and opening offices from sea to shining sea. And really what the root of that's been is getting individuals and organizations to be able to expand markets and actually grow themselves. Right? And it's different if you're in New York City or whether you're in Ponca City, Utah, or whether you're in L.A. or whether you're in, in Florida. They all have their different nuances. So understanding what that sales conversation needs to be, what the process is, and how do you create consistency over time has really been the focus, I would say, the majority of my career often because that was primarily my job and what I got judged on. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Now, bring us up to speed with what Pathway Strategies is doing today. So Pathway Strategies really focuses on one thing and one thing only. So it's specific to the HR outsourcing industry, so whether that be PEO or HR outsourcing companies. And we focus on helping organizations build their engine. Now, whether that engine is just getting started, whether it's the owner who has been running the two or three salespeople for their lifetime and decided they didn't want to do that any longer, an organization that's beginning to optimize and looking how to take their sales team to the next level, or whether, frankly, right, it's they, we need to put in management structure for the whole team and actually operating as a manager. And I will tell you, all of that is really on the backdrop of our goal is to get individuals and organizations to understand how to build the engine, and then how to run the engine primarily, and then we turn it back over to them. So I don't really believe in long-term contracts. My goal is to teach someone else how to do it, because honestly, if I was in their shoes, that's what I would want. I mean, help me understand how to do this, put in the systems and the processes, because building is a different skill set than running it. So we are builders of people and enterprises and markets and systems and tech, in order to enable consistency and hopefully some level of predictability out of their sales engine, which is primarily what we we focus on. That's fantastic. Installing capability and going in-house is absolutely what most organizations need, and it's what they ask for. It's rare to find organizations that will actually help them do that and build uh, their engine on helping others build an engine for themselves. So uh, that's, that's fantastic. 
So I want to dive in here. I know that you've seen a lot, as you said, you from sea to shining sea, you've interacted with a lot of organizations. You've been a member of teams, a leader of teams, and a trainer of those teams, which means you've had a front row seat to a lot of the sales conversations that take place between PEO and HRO sales folks and the prospects that they're calling on. And we've had some guests on this show that uh, really help us understand what it takes to get in front of somebody. That's that that level of prospecting. Right. We've had other people that talk to us about how we can do social selling. But I think there is this need for us to talk today about what happens once you get the meeting and you're actually in front of somebody and it's time for you to talk and make sense of you know what you do, uh, not fumble over your words and communicate. I'm curious, what do you see typically takes place within sales teams as they interact with their their prospects when they finally get the meeting? I mean, after the sheer elation, the fact that they actually got an appointment, and then what do they do? <laughs> so, exactly right. <laughs> so, besides getting their car and go to the appointment as fast as possible and go, hey, let me tell you about all the payroll benefits, HR and workers' comp stuff we do. It's going to be awesome. And by the way, can I get some information so we can get a quote together? So, fundamentally, that's what I see most often is that people run out to a meeting, maybe look at a website. Maybe check out the background, see if they know anyone, and then go out there and are just excited to tell people what it is that they do with the hopes that, you know, it triggers something and someone says, great, this would be awesome. I would love to get a quote from you, in which case you produce a quote. And I can tell you that all of that just doesn't work. It's just not the point. So that the, the whole point of going out and visiting someone is not actually to go get a quote. Your first thought process has to be, to A, first understand. And that understanding is about having a business conversation. This whole concept, and I'm really going to step on my soapbox here for just a second, but this concept of we can actually sell somebody something, I just don't think holds water any longer. The fact is, hmm. Brian, I couldn't sell you anything, right? You're, not gonna, you're certainly not going to sell me something, right? Something that I potentially don't need or convince me to do something that's not in the best interest of the business that I have. That doesn't even make sense. And we think as salespeople, and frankly, we've been trained as sales monkeys to go out and convince people to do things. And the reality is, I don't think we can convince people. And, and where, where that really shows up, if you really start looking at effectiveness, is you have these two ratios that we talk about a lot in our, our world, which is the initial meeting to proposal ratio and the proposal to close ratio. And those two ratios will let you know how effective you are at the process. So if you've got an initial meeting to proposal ratio, that is 35%, well, that's one thing. But if you've got a proposal, initial meeting to proposal ratio, that's 65%, then you've more than doubled your production if everything else is exactly the same. So being really effective in that initial meeting has a lot to do with, first of all, how you approach it. And the idea is that you're not approaching it to sell anything. Your job should be to a, understand first, and then B, to get them to understand what it is is possible, which is different than what you do. Right. Because if you don't think they've been on your website to look at what you do, right, then you're just probably not in reality at the moment. Because I would look at someone's website before I met them, and I think most people do. So I think they certainly have a sense of it. Hmm. So that conversation, I don't think is really becoming a conversation. I think it's becoming a dumping of all of the great things and wonderful things that a company does and 
And then a salesperson has a really hard time removing the assumptions of, hey, if I hear this, then we're just going to solve that problem. They're not actually listening. They're just looking for the trigger words for which they can jump in and say, hey, I can solve that problem for you, which just isn't really the point of that initial meeting. That's really interesting that you say that. It reminds me of some research that you and I both know about. It comes out of the Challenger customer from Gartner and uh, you know, came off the back tails of the uh, Challenger sale. And in there, we, they really get into the why people wait so long to engage a salesperson. Right. And one of the things that they commented on was that they didn't really believe the salesperson could add any value to their thinking. Essentially, they began to see salespeople simply as order takers, and they put the onus of that on the salespeople. I mean, right. would you put the onus as well on salespeople that it's uh, their responsibility to, uh, and maybe even their fault, as to why people no longer really value their opinion or direction? I think, yeah, absolutely. So we obviously get salespeople together in lots of different venues inside companies and in some of the programs that we run. And one of the very first questions I ask within right after the introductions is, what do you think about salespeople? And realize I'm asking a room full of salespeople. And the answers are always exactly the same. They don't listen. They only care about themselves, right? They're only in it for the money, right? They don't really care. And then my question to them is, just out of curiosity, how many of you, the people that you meet in a month feel that way about you? <laughs> And, oh, that's cutting. And awesome, <laughs> right? And then you have to ask, yep. are you really there to listen? Are you really there because you care? Or are you behind in your number and you got to drive some some pipeline into your system so your manager will get off your back or so you can feel like you're being productive? What's the reality there? And, and the room yeah. usually gets pretty quiet. And what they realize is all that stuff that they don't like about salespeople, we have really trained them to do which is to go find the pain, right? And then solve the pain for them. But the reality is, is we all live with pain. So the, the, my comment to them is, okay, think about all the things on your list in your life that isn't working, that you don't like, that frankly isn't all that fun. How long has some of that stuff been on your list? Some of it we live with for a really long time, if not a lifetime, right? And then if you were gonna solve one particular thing on that list, it might have to be at exactly the right time where it became really super acute, right? For you to want to solve it then. But in two months from now, that won't be at the top of the list any longer. Right. So you're trying to find this one thing that you can like bleed out, rub some salt in it to try to solve that problem. But the reality is we all live with it. And unless you're at exactly the right time, then, then you're just looking for pain. And I think what the conversation really is, is a few things, right? One, there has to be something that's disturbing enough for someone to want to do something about it. They have to have a vision for what's possible. And then they have to have a path in order to get there. If all three of those things exist, then that will move people into action. And that whole initial meeting to proposal ratio is about doing a better job in the initial meeting so that you don't get ghosted as often. Because the, one of the biggest challenges in the sales process is you come back and say, I had this really great meeting with people, and then you don't hear from them, or they don't get you the information. Yes. And you're like, I don't understand why. And part of that is because either we didn't add any value in that conversation, or we found a few pain points, and guess what? Tomorrow, a new pain point showed up. But the, all three of those things have to occur. 
What is it you're dissatisfied with? What's the vision for where you want to go? And they have to have a path. And if you can do that in the initial meeting, what you'll find is that ratio and the average person runs around 40 to 45% of the initial meeting to proposal, mm-hmm. where okay. some of the top performers will run into 65%. And that's a big difference in just effectiveness of that initial meeting and how you construct it, which means that you can't get in your car, run out there and just show up and have a conversation with people and expect you to have mastered the craft of the initial meeting or your discovery meeting, however you want to call it. So what are, you talk about the structure that top performers utilize in order to accomplish those three milestones. Practically speaking, what does one of those conversations look like and, and how do top performers execute well on that, that, that maybe people that are in the middle or that are struggling can move up to that? The first piece is mindset. So when you look at the top 1% and the top 1% in our industry does a thousand lives a year or a million dollars of admin fee a year for at least five consecutive years. I mean, everyone's got a good year in them, right? The first thing you'll find is that none of them are walking into that initial meeting with the idea they're going to sell anyone anything. Their job is to go in and just A, understand, and as importantly, qualify the company and the prospect you're speaking to of whether they're actually in a buying window or not. And I know that's Jeb Blunt's terminology, but but that buying window is assessing whether they're actually buying right now or not has a lot to do with who they spend time with. So once you get there first, secondly, you have to understand what's important to them, meaning where are they going to go? Where are they going to grow? What are they trying to accomplish? Because a business will invest in getting to where they need to go. Because everyone knows you need to invest to grow your company. Most people walk in and say, where's your pain? People will solve their pain, assuming that it's a not too disruptive. Maybe if they can Mm -hmm. save some money associated with it. So it's not about finding pain first. It's finding about where they're going, what they're trying to accomplish. Then the second part of that conversation is, well, great. What has to happen in order to accomplish that? And that's twofold. What do you need to stop doing and what do you need to start doing? And there's a series of structure of how you ask questions from questions about their business, questions about what's important, questions about what the impact of that is. And then those, great, then how do you do payroll, which should be the last type of question you have, not the first type of question you have. And with all of that, right, then what it gives you is a structure for flushing out what's important and what not. So I'll give you an example. Okay. CEO salespeople ask the question, you know, tell me what challenges you have with HR. Well, I'm going to suggest to you that, first of all, the supposition is they have challenges and that that's just an assumption that, frankly, you shouldn't have walking in. So for me, the first question is, is HR important? Mm -hmm. And by the way, the answer sometimes is no. So at that point in time, don't think you're going to convince them that HR is important if they think HR is a bunch of picnic planners, right? HR might be strategically important. It might be paper. You have to understand that. And then if it's important, well, what makes it important? So once you understand those things, it gives you context for the types of questions you ask. We ask questions like, well, tell me the challenges you have with X, right? And it just assumes they have challenges. And you right then and there start sounding like a sales monkey and you will break rapport versus... What do you really want to accomplish? What's important to you? Let's talk about the things that are important. 
And by the way, our benefits important. Our workers' comp important. Is employee administration important? Just ask, is it important without the assumption? And I think what you'll find is it'll lead you into a conversation. And the people who do this the best, I will tell you that the conversation looks like two friends having a conversation. And what I would offer you is that right. when you're explaining the process of what we do, the way I would have people think about it is, imagine if you were supposed to help your brother out or your sister buy this. Your job is to provide them the very best information possible so they can make a good decision. And the more you can do that, even about the options, about the competition, about what works, about what doesn't work, that's what all business owners want is just good information in order to make a good business decision. And our salespeople, our sales professionals are experts in this, but that's not the role that they take inside. They take the role of, let me find your pain and rub some salt in it, right? And then I'm going to poke it a few times when the reality is it's just not what business owners want. So that whole conversation construct, right, from understanding what they're trying to accomplish, what's going to prevent them from accomplishing it, uh, what do they need to change in order to do that, and then making sure you're creating a compelling value proposition or, frankly, a story around what's possible so they can see it, well, will improve your initial meeting to proposal ratio, right? Which fundamentally, if you think about it, without doing any additional work, will increase your close ratios, the number of closes you have. So that's fundamentally the, the majority of the work we do with salespeople is how to create effectiveness throughout each one of those stages. You know, it begs the question, do you think that this is a personality play as well. I'm just kind of playing the devil's advocate here. Yeah. Is, can can anybody learn how to do this? Or is this some of these, the nature of these things that some people are endowed with a certain personality or a certain EQ or some life experiences that you know, enable them to have the sensibility when they get into a meeting? Or is it something that you can learn through uh, the appropriate training over time? I'll tell you a quick story. So when I started out, my first deal, I went through the process, got information, didn't ask anything really about the business. And, and I'm an analytical. So I did five pages of math to prove out the point. And I got to page this a 15 person company. It was a like a light construction, like a trade kind of guy. I got to page two and he said, yeah, I think this is good. And I said, great. Get to page three. And he says, I, I think I really want to do this. I said, great. I'm halfway done. Right. So what I can tell you was I was no born salesperson, convincer, or even communicator. This is everything that I've learned. Some of it the hard way, a lot of it's study, a lot of it's trial and error. So the answer is if you're a human and you can have a good conversation with someone you care about and you can help them through the decision-making process, then anyone can learn this. There are certainly skill sets and processes that you need to work on. So you can be a naturally gifted athlete, but if you don't work on mastering and improving each one of those aspects, you'll just be a gifted athlete versus a world-class athlete. But absolutely, this is, can be something that can be learned. And it doesn't matter what your background is, because when you start taking away the you have to sell this way conversation versus sales as a process to execute, then what it allows for people to do is just them to show up. So some people might be really good in a construction type market. Some people might be really good in a tech type market. Some people might be really good in a manufacturing type market. But the reality is until you show up authentically, you're just a sales monkey and those people that people don't want to spend time with. 
So I think people can be human, professional, and help people get to where they want. So no, I, I don't think it's something that's innate. I think it's absolutely learned. And I think for the most part, it's forgetting the fact that you're there to sell somebody something and your job is to professionally help them through the process of making the best decision, all else being equal, you'll win more often than not. Yeah, all things being equal, people will do business with others that they know, like, and trust. And I think you have just given an opportunity for a lot of people who are listening to really relax, to not try to be to do this, the psychological gymnastics required to try to convince somebody to change their behavior when they have no interest in change or changing their behavior. And I loved what you said that really ultimately people are trying to solve problems without creating new ones. So the the more in tune you are by asking questions with with all the dynamics at play within a business as to what's important, right. what's off limits, what we know it's status quo, but we're okay with that. When you understand the landscape and then you, you maneuver through that landscape, maybe challenging at times, sure. but ultimately trying to help somebody arrive at the conclusion, uh, the destiny that they want to get to, that story of transformation, is so much more life-giving for both parties because ultimately, then everybody is enjoying the process. You're going to increase your high quality deals and ultimately have loyalty that goes beyond price. Am, am I on the right track? 100%. It's, it makes it a lot easier for the salesperson. I will tell you that it's a lot more fun as well when you realize you're just having conversations. There's a top one percenter that I got a chance to work with for many years. And she historically sold about 700 worksite employees a year. So call that about $700,000 to $800,000 a year in admin fee. And as I was following up on this, it's kind of one of the top 1% new project that we did, I got a chance to connect with her. And she said, again, things are so much better. And I said, well, why is that? She said, well, I stopped chasing every deal until it died. And I just realized that some people were buying and some people weren't buying. And I said, well, that's fantastic. How did that kind of change the conversation? Because it took the pressure off. It allowed me to have real conversations, and I wasn't pulling my hair out trying to chase that one last little bit of, of the deal down when I knew it was probably dead anyway, but there was like a 2% possibility. When I said, I said, great. I said, first of all, how is that for you? She goes, well, life is much better. She goes, frankly, my husband likes it better. I said, what about production? She goes, on average, I'm selling about 1,400 to 1,500 worksite employees a year now. And I said, because? She said, because I'm much easier in the conversation. I walk away from deals faster than I ever have, but I'm more engaged in conversations, meaningful conversations with the right types of companies and the right types of prospects. So we think this process of letting go, this prospect of taking the pressure off is going to have deals fall through the cracks. And the answer is it absolutely is. It should have the deals that shouldn't be in your pipeline fall through the cracks which will give you the time to add the deals for people who are actually buying. Ultimately, and I know it sounds counterproductive or counterintuitive rather, ultimately you will actually increase production because you're spending time with people who are buying. And that conversation, that business conversation, will let you know whether there's actually anything there, whether there's really an opportunity for you to help them accomplish something versus, hey, I think we can get them cheaper health or cheaper workers' compensation where they don't really understand HR liability, but we're going to solve that for them, which is just a low probability win versus I absolutely need to grow and the infrastructure necessary and the expertise necessary and the resources necessary and all the layers of the things you do will enable us to grow. Your probability of getting that deal is just higher. So the answer to your question is, yes, you're on the right track. 
<laughs> well, I love the fact that you brought it back down to the numbers. I think that's really important. That's a perfect illustration to make your case. Essentially, we have this false sense that if we start doing things that that sound better for everybody and we take the pressure off and we we do things in a new way that that we're going to slip that we're going to lose that we're going to have losses and that those were you know from a revenue standpoint that, that all deals are created equal and we really know that all deals are not created equal we've all said yes to opportunities that we really should have said no to for some temporary gain that ultimately bit us in the butt later on this idea that we can give things up that are not good for us really comes from the sense uh, that there's an abundance of opportunity more than you could even handle as opposed to a scarcity mentality which tends to keep us talking to people long after we should have let them go so i really appreciate you you saying that one of the things ray as you're talking i want to make sure our listeners get an opportunity to hear about is is there's actually a webinar coming up that we're going to be talking about some of these things but actually even really what's what's going on in the landscape uh, we're going to be launching this in the fourth quarter, and I just love for you to tell our listeners what that webinar is going to cover. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So I think we've all begun to sense that the market isn't changing; it has actually changed. And when I say that, that's not because the products inside your individual organizations have changed; it's because buying has changed. There are more options for buyers. There are more solutions by HR services companies and technology companies and insurance companies that fit the bill of single source solution, including HR expertise and payroll expertise and insurance and those types of things. And what I think you find is that there are a few organizations that are outpacing everyone else. They are These are the hyper growth companies in, in our space. And when you begin to break down what it is that they're doing differently, what I think you'll find is they're not recreating something that's never been created before. They've just found a way to really tap into the stream and then ride that in a way that's creating acceleration and velocity. And that velocity comes from clarity. It comes from real focus on particular markets. And I would tell you their technology isn't necessarily better. Their HR services aren't necessarily better. Their insurances aren't necessarily better. It really isn't about one component or the other but how they put those components together and then how that gets bridged into the marketing as well as to the sales function and how that alignment is creating real traction and speed in particular marketplace. So we're going to break down some of those organizations. We're going to break down kind of what they did, about where they've come from. And again, this isn't a PEO or even HRO space. This is where are buyers coming from to solve the solutions that have historically just been the domain of PEOs? That's definitely a can't miss uh, opportunity. I've had uh, the opportunity for you to share with me a few of the insights uh, that have come out from your research. And, and I know that they are uh, the kind of things that everybody needs to be paying attention to right now. Because ultimately, with what's going on in all of our industries and the way that all buyers are changing, we're seeing a massive shift. And those words come out of marketers and out of uh, experts all the time, right? The, the massive shift. But this is one that is going to change things in a way that we've never really seen happen specifically in this industry. There, there have been bumps along the road, but there's never been a pivot 
at, at this scale as the one that's coming now. So I'm really looking forward to that, uh, you getting into that. And, and speaking of, I just have one last question before I let you go. You brought up the concept of marketing. And when you talk about marketing uh, to you know, sales and marketing teams within the HR space, what are some of the ways that marketing teams can bolster and support what sales is doing inside of and preparation for and after those sales conversations? Oh, that's a big question. So let me see if I can narrow down a couple. The first thing I think that marketing teams can do is educate salespeople on what marketing does. <laughs> because I don't think most people do. Marketing teams, you're supposed to drive quality leads to me so I don't have to work as hard. That, that's what most salespeople think marketing's job is. If marketing will understand that salespeople just don't know what's possible and take the time to educate them, which is different than going and asking, what do you want from us? Because the answer is more qualified leads, right? Help them secondly understand the process that you go through to develop, to target, to nurture, and what that cycle and what that process is and what their role is, not because it's what role you want it to be, but because that's how the buying process occurs. Then what I think you'll find is they'll show up better in helping support marketing accomplish what they want to accomplish. And ultimately, the salespeople will be more effective. So I know that's kind of maybe an inverted answer to the question that you have. But the reality is, I think marketing has begun to drive real traction. And I think the, the lessons learned and the data is proving out that it can be done consistently. It can be done with a level of predictability. But salespeople are still, give, why aren't you giving me more qualified leads? You must not be doing anything. But Marketing isn't going to be successful without sales. And I'm going to argue that sales over time is not going to be successful without marketing just because of the way the buying dynamic exists. So for me, it would be first educate folks because they just don't understand. The second thing I think you can do is understand what the salesperson's process is, right? What process are they executing? And realize that marketing can provide information and tools at certain key pivotal points, and the way I would have marketing think about things is, where do we have the lowest throughputs or the lowest ratios? So what could marketing provide from that initial meeting to proposal time frame? Right? What in there could marketing provide them that will help bridge the time sometimes necessary because you want to stay connected? And I would say the other thing is, what information or value can they provide after the proposal to close that they can provide information and tools whether it's something on the website or otherwise. I saw uh, recently there was an organization I was dealing with. And at every stage of the process, they provided me with information, a link to something that was on their site that was useful. Now, I didn't click on all of them, but it was prominent enough that they used the content on their website as part of the education process to help me understand what it was I was buying and to give me some confidence and some third-party reference information about why this was the right solution. So I'm not sure that answers your question exactly, but if I'm in the trenches, that's kind of what I would want from marketing at this point. I think it's a perfect answer, and it's exactly what I would say if I was in your shoes. <laughs> that is the best thing that can happen for the two relationships to really work together and jibe. The rest is up to the tactical implementation of what happens after those conversations. And, and I love that you pointed out that marketing really does 
uh, serve at the pleasure of revenue in the same way that sales does. But the two of them really do need each other more than ever. And I would agree, I think sales needs marketing more than it realizes. And when the two actually join forces and work together, those are the ones that become the market leaders. Those are the ones that create the statistics that you and I want to research, study, and tell other people about. And the great thing about all of this, Ray, what I loved and everything that you said, because you've had a front row seat to the top performers in this industry for decades. And everything that you've shared with us on today's uh, broadcast has really explained that there is, there's no mystery behind success here. This is something that is definable. This is a process that you can learn. There are steps that you can take. You can go from where you are right now to being a part of the top performers within the industry simply by just changing some of your behaviors and some of your mindset. And I know that you happen to be somebody that people can get in touch with for, for even figuring out how they go about that. What would you say is the best way for someone to follow up with you or, or to kind of follow along with what you're doing, maybe access some of the resources that you've had that you've developed within your organization? Yeah, great. Thanks for the question. So the answer is to the website, and that is pathwaystrat.com where all of the information is, a lot of the research that we've done, um, a lot of the you know, white papers and case studies about what works and what doesn't work. And what I will tell you is that the website's really designed to provide people with as much information as they would like. Um, I'm a big believer in sharing what we know so that other people can use it. As we said before that you know planning is easy, the information is easy, but execution is hard and we really focus on the execution. So we really do try to give as much information to folks as possible about what we see, what we think is working. So all of that can be accessed there. Fantastic. Appreciate that. Well, I really do appreciate you joining us on today's uh, show. It's been a delight to have you and way too long in the process of us getting together on here. I do hope that you'll join me again for a future episode. What do you say? Be happy to. Thanks so much. All right, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ray. Mm-hmm.